Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Now, last Sunday, I misspoke. I said that the, that prior to last Sunday, I had started this series two weeks before. It had been one week before, so today... I started this series two weeks before. I'm not going to be able to cover everything I covered. And the reason I said that is if you weren't here in the, in the previous uh, sessions, you need to go back to last Sunday, and that's the 28th and the 21st, the Sunday before, and uh, get called up because we're not going to catch up a lot of those things. We did uh, point out that there are two fundamental workings of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. That is, as a result of the, of the new birth, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And that's true of every Christian. Every child of God, every believer has the Holy Spirit residing on the inside. There's another important work of the Spirit as a result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not automatic. That's a separate experience that one receives by faith, just like he received the new birth by faith. And as a result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer to anoint the the believer for service for him. So there's two fundamental works of the Spirit, and that's something that much of the church world does not know. They don't understand those two differences, and because of that, there's a lot of confusion and a lot of of, of, uh, wrong believing in the church concerning the Holy Spirit, And, and people miss out on a lot of the blessing of the Holy Spirit because they don't discern those two things. So we pointed that out. And then in, in this series, we, uh, I started talking about the importance of every believer being aware of, of the indwelling spirit. As spirit-filled believers, as believers who've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and have the Holy Spirit, the anointing upon us, uh, uh, we do emphasize that a lot, of course, but if we're not careful... We only live and take advantage of the power of the Spirit upon us. And, and, and because that's sort of our focus, very often we don't really take advantage like we should of the work of the Spirit within us. And so I introduced this uh, series this way. Uh, I said there are three ways we must cooperate with the indwelling spirit. Not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This doesn't have anything to do with speaking with tongues or, or, or miracles or anything like that. But just as a result of having the indwelling spirit, there are three fundamental ways that we must cooperate with the indwelling spirit if we're going to benefit from his indwelling. And so we went over the three to begin with, and I've only talked about the first one. The first one is we need to know that constant renewals of the Holy Spirit are necessary. We have to have uh, constant and ongoing renewals of his strength, of his quickening in our spirit, and so forth. And so we talked about that at length. The other two were, it's important to know that as, as indwelt believers, spirit indwelt, we must walk in the spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not associated with uh, fundamentally or or only or or exclusively with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is something that belongs to and is necessary for every Christian. So your friends and relatives maybe that don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they just have the Holy Spirit within them. They're supposed to walk in the Spirit as well. And then thirdly, we'll talk about this later, is we need to learn the way of the Spirit. 
so that we can trace uh, the Lord's dealings with us and how he works in, in, even though he's not always the author of circumstances, and often he's not, he works in light of those things in our lives and, and causes those things to turn out for our good. So we need to learn the way of the Spirit, number three. Number two is, is walking in the Spirit. Number one was constant renewals of his Spirit are necessary. So I want to talk today about this second uh, part and uh, walking in the Spirit. The reason that it's important is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, part of his mission is to inform us, to keep us fully aware of the manner of life that we're supposed to live before God. And, and this is very, very, in order to have that to happen, you have to walk in the Spirit. Now, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at our key Scripture for this point. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Then if you drop down to the 25th verse, it says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Or you could say that verse this way, if you've been made alive in the Spirit, then also walk in the Spirit. Notice this is something that belongs to every believer. If you've been made alive in the Spirit or by the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Now, walking in the Spirit, that, that phrase or that term or phrase, I guess, uh, is often uh, misunderstood. We, sometimes people think that to walk in the Spirit is to sort of walk around, you know, in some type of, of uh, hyper uh, pseudo-spirituality, you know, where you're just kind of lost. It's not the same as being lost in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is not the same. In fact, go with me to Revelation. Go to the first chapter of Revelation. A lot of times people uh, uh, conflate these two things or, or, or think they're the same thing and they're not. You'll notice in, in the book of Revelation, it says in verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. God gave Jesus to show his servants thing that must, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. He's talking about himself, of course. Down in verse 9, he said, I, John... Both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was, quote, in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet and it was the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him. Now, people a lot of times connect these two things you know, being in the Spirit. Uh, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's not what walking in the Spirit is. Because when John was in the Spirit, uh, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. He had visions. He received visions and revelations uh, when the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And these things were brought to him by an angel. God sent his angel and brought these things to him. Well, in Galatians, when it says walk in the Spirit, that's something we're commanded to do. 
He said, in other words, you can walk in the spirit by determination. Because he said, do it. If, you, if he said, do it, we're supposed to do it. We can do it. We should do it. In other words, it's under our control, whether we walk in the spirit. Well, what happened to John wasn't under his control. You can't send yourself a vision from heaven. You can't conjure up the Lord Jesus to appear to you. You can't receive visions and dreams whenever you want to. Now, everybody has dreams, but, but they're not of God. Most of the time, 99.9% of the time, I had a dream last night. I woke up this morning and, and now I can't tell you what it was. Sometimes I do remember what I dream and they don't make any sense. People, and I talked about this on a Wednesday, several Wednesday nights uh, a few months back. That's not what we're talking about. These dreams and visions that, that come from the Spirit aren't something that, that we have anything to do with other than they just happen. They just happen as the Spirit wills. But that couldn't be the same thing as walking in the Spirit again because we're told to walk in the Spirit. Today, this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, midday on Wednesday and Friday and whatever, walk in the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit, again, is not, uh, uh, you know, being, there's this phrase, you know, we used to use, you know, this person's so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that? They just kind of walk around, you know, like they've got their head in the clouds, you know, and all of that's put on. I don't mean to be rude with you, but it is. If you walk that way, you're just a put on. Just a big old fraud, a little big old fake. It's not real. Amen. So this isn't what that's talking about. Being so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. But, but we shouldn't be so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. (laughs) It's not an either or. Amen. We do need to be spiritually minded. Go over with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And we'll see how this happens. Spiritually minded is not living in the clouds somewhere. Now if the glory of God manifests and you find yourself in the cloud, that's good. But you can't just decide that to happen. Amen. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on. Mark those four words. Set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, you could add those four words again, set their mind on the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death, But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Walking in the spirit is being spiritually minded from the biblical perspective. Being mindful of the word of God and being mindful of the Holy Spirit in your life and living your day and every day mindful of the Holy Spirit's presence. Walking in the spirit won't make you weird. It won't, it won't make you uh, strange to people around you. If you're walking in the Spirit, you will attract people because you'll have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Amen. Go with me to Galatians again. Go back to Galatians chapter 5 and let's look at what it says about walking in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Now, I want us to, to uh, 
Let me see here if I get. Well, I'll get ahead of myself. Let me, let me just read. Start in verse number 16. This I say, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the, do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. Actually, that word sorcery in the older King James says witchcraft. The new King James says sorcery, but that's actually from the Greek word uh, pharmakeia. And it's spelled P-H-A-R-M-A-K-E-I-A, pharmakeia. It's the Greek word we get uh, the English word pharmacy from. It's talking about drugs that, it's not talking about medicines. I met somebody recently that was a pharmacist and, and this person told me that somebody asked her one time and this troubled her for many years, asked her, uh, but when he found out, this Christian found out she was a pharmacist, she, he, he asked something like, say that again? Yes, yeah, she said, he, he asked this person how she could reconcile being a pharmacist with with her faith, being a Christian. As if being a pharmacist, you know, would, would make you, you couldn't be saved and be a pharmacist. This happened several years ago, and this person was just talking to me a couple weeks ago, and they were troubled by it still. This is always troubled me. I said, that's ridiculous. When, when and, and I'm guessing that person got this from this passage of scripture, but when it's talking about pharmacia here, drugs, it's talking about drugs, but drugs that put you in a state similar to sorcery and witchcraft. Not drugs that make you healthy and drugs that make you well and, and, and clear your mind up, but drugs that, that, in other words, illegal recreational drugs. Amen. Uh, idolatry, uh, drugs, drug abuse, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against, there, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So notice that walking in the spirit is contrasted, contrasted with walking in the flesh. You can say it like this, walking in the spirit is walking in the fruit of the spirit. Notice verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, the, 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 the results of walking in the spirit is walking in the fruit of the spirit. That demystifies it, doesn't it? To walk in the Spirit is, on, is number one. I have three things to mention about or, or to identify uh, walking in the Spirit by. And the first one is to walk in the Spirit is to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. To have the fruit of the Spirit developing. Now, none of us are perfect, completely perfect in any of these fruit of the Spirit. But there should be fruit in all of our lives. All of these things. All of these nine fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our life. Now, the very first fruit is love. Very first fruit is love. 
In fact, Jesus said, go, go with me to 1 John. This will make you shout. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, excuse me, chapter 4. Is that right? Yeah. Beloved, let us love, this is 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. He's telling us that if you don't love others, you're not even saved. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. John said that. He who does not love does not know God. So if you don't love other people, you're not saved. It's the first fruit that manifests. Now, we're in the fourth chapter. Go back to the third chapter here, 1 John 3. Verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Again, the very first fruit of the Spirit. You know, somebody asked Jesus, you'll recall they asked Jesus one time, what was the greatest commandment or the first commandment? And he said to love your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second commandment was like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, these two commandments are the first and the greatest. And they said, every, he said, everything else hinges and hangs on these two things, love. We know that love is greater than hope and even faith. The greatest of these is love. So love is first and, and it's so remarkable that when you get born again, if you genuinely are born again, soon as you got born again, there was birthed in you this fruit and you loved other Christians. You've heard my story how, you know, I was backslidden and, and out of church and, and, you know, serving the devil. And when I was 20 years old, I got back in a fellowship with the Lord and I look back on it now and it's really remarkable that I started going back to the same church that I had been going to, which incidentally is the church that I'm going to preach this funeral in on Wednesday. I'm doing uh, Sister Martha's friend, uh, funeral. I'm, I'm preaching it and another brother is helping me who was also in that re, uh, revival that was going on in those days. And uh, so we're, we're both doing the, mess, you know, the funeral together. But uh, I've told you a little bit about this. And, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I was... Uh, backslidden, living for the devil, I, uh, I didn't like conservative, uh, conservative philosophy at all. I was completely against it. I did everything I could. I was very liberal. And I actually uh, uh, was a member of a hardcore socialist uh, political party. I was a member of this socialist party and I was a foot soldier, you know, for the, for the movement and and helped, you know, bring about uh, the election of candidates and so forth. And uh, I, was a, I was a hippie. And, you know, I, uh, back then things were different than they are now. Back then, most people were very conservative looking. 
And there wasn't a lot of, now today, you know, to look weird that you've heard me talk about, you know, coming to church with long hair and, you know, tattered clothes and all that stuff. And it really doesn't, it doesn't really mean a lot today because a lot of people look like that. I mean, today people are just bizarre. I mean, you know, uh, you can have long hair, you can have short hair. Nobody pays any attention to that. Nobody cares. You can have, you know, and you'll see this. You'll see a guy walking down the street, his head shaved. One side of his head is completely bald. The other head, side of his head's got him and he looks like Rapunzel. He's got so much hair on that side of the head. <laughs> you know, and nobody, one, or, or one part of somebody's hair is green, the other part's purple. Who cares? Nobody cares. Nobody, you don't even take a second look. That wasn't true in 1972, <laughs> 1973. You know, the church that I came out of was this real conservative uh, Southern Pentecostal church. And I, I refer to it sometimes as rednecks because back then, as a hippie, we referred to those people as rednecks, but they weren't really rednecks in the sense that you think today. Somebody living out in the woods, you know, and you know, you know, you know what I mean, a redneck. That's not, that's, these people didn't look like that. They were just very conservative. Men dressed very conservatively. And back then, outside of the youth movement that was, that was taking hold in America, traditionally, you know, men just wore the same kind of clothes. Women have always had the, have always had the privilege of being able to wear different kinds of clothes. That's just always been the prerogative of women. But men, you know, we still today, look at this. I wear a suit and a dress shirt and a tie and dress shoes. And next week, I'll wear a suit and a dress shirt and a tie and dress shoes. And the week before, I did. And the next week, I will. It, you know, I get a different color suit. Our big change in, flat, in fashion is the lapel changes. Woo, man, we're getting extreme, aren't we? And, and when and we really want something different, we go from a, from a block uh, pleat in the back to, a, to just one uh, uh, vent in the back, you know. Or, or no, no, is that what you call it? Anyway, no, no vent in the back. Vent sounds weird, doesn't it? <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> but back then, back then, people just dressed real conservative. Well, as a hippie, I hated that. I mean, I, you know, we were, that was part, part of the way we dressed was a statement of rebellion against the norm. So, uh, you know, it was odd that I, I was completely, I had completely washed church out of my life. I was trying to wash Christ out of my life. You know, like Mitzi Gaynor washed that man right out of my hair. I mean, I was trying to wash Jesus out of my life completely, you know. And uh, so when I got back into fellowship, I didn't get back in fellowship in the Lord in church. I wasn't going to church. No one witnessed, no individual came across my path and witnessed to me. No one uh, impacted me that I recall. In other words, there wasn't anybody on the job that their, their testimony just spoke to me. I wasn't listening. I wasn't looking. I wasn't open. Uh, I, I got back in fellowship with the Lord by myself in a motel room. And the only person speaking to me other than, you know, the Holy Spirit through the word was 
uh, uh, Billy Graham on television. I was watching him. That had a, a great impact. But as far as going back to church, there's, there's no logical reason for me to have returned to that church. Now, I've said that, but I'll say this. I'll go in a little bit more detail and maybe embarrass my wife, maybe not. There's a, even a greater reason I shouldn't have gone back to that church. You know the story. My wife and I, we were teenagers, and we were completely backslidden. And I was 17 years old. She was 16. I was a senior in high school. She was junior in high school. She got pregnant. Now, uh, we weren't repentant. We weren't the least bit repentant. Now, we, were, we weren't happy that she got pregnant, but we weren't repentant over our sin. This wasn't something that just happened, you know, we just kind of slipped up and no, we, you know, we'd been sexually active for months, so there was nothing new, we just weren't paying attention like we should have and she ended up pregnant. Well, her father was the Sunday school superintendent at North Jack's Church of God. And in the church of God, as far as laity is concerned, the, probably the highest level of, of, of uh, service in the church on a, on a layman's level is to be a part of the pastor's church and council because that's voted on by the congregation. You know, so many men serve. Second to that, as far as service, as far as a position like a department position, Sunday school superintendent was the most prominent and all churches that have strong Sunday schools, the Sunday school superintendent is probably the most recognized leader in the church because there's just so much work he has to do. My dad had been Sunday school superintendent in the, at the Springfield Church of God that I was raised in. <clears throat> then when I was 14 years old, we, the, the, the pastor uh, and about 200 people, 200 and something people went out and started North Jack's Church of God as an offshoot of Springfield. And uh, my dad had been killed when I was 11. And so Brother Newman became Sunday school superintendent. And when my dad passed away at Springfield, he joined. He, he was part of the move to North Jacksonville. So he was the Sunday school superintendent. Then when he stepped down, Angela's dad, Durrell Nettles, became Sunday school superintendent. Well, when, it, when, when the news got out that his daughter was pregnant, somebody anonymous, some coward, anonymously... If you hear me out, you see what I'm talking about. A coward anonymously posted a note on the bulletin board that said something to the effect that due to the recent scandal, Brother Nettles ought to step down uh, from serving as Sunday school superintendent because he doesn't have his house in order. Well, a, a, a young woman in the church found that note, took it off and took it to the pastor and gave it to the pastor. Said, do you see what somebody put on the on the bulletin board. Well, as a result of that, the pastor decided that Angela and I would need to stand up before the church and, and apologize to the church for our sin. Now, we weren't even interested in church. We were completely backslidden. We were rebellious. And I was far more rebellious than she was. She was more rebellious against her parents. I was rebellious against everything. We weren't, like I said, we weren't the least bit repentant. It's the last thing I felt like doing. The only reason we agreed to do it was for her dad's sake. Now, it was absurd. This person was a coward that put that up. But that's just the way it was. 
And, and for her dad's sake, oh no, I think it was on a Wednesday night or a Sunday night. And, and we had, you know, this, this happened and we were gone. We came back. We stood up. Our pastor said, uh, uh, Angela and Edwin, Edwin and Angela Anderson, or Edwin and Anderson, we were married then. Edwin and Angela Anderson have something they want to say. So my wife got up, muttered a few words. I got up and muttered a few words, sat down, said, we're sorry. We didn't mean it. It was huge. Can you imagine that? Now, I thought at 17 years old, I thought I was a man, and I thought I was an adult, but I still knew I was only a 17-year-old kid. And I knew that a 17-year-old kid and a 16-year-old scared girl had, should not have been required to do that. It was absurd. It was completely out of order. I walked out of church that day and I said, I'll never step foot in this building again. I was already on drugs at that time. I'd started smoking marijuana in high school, you know, in my senior year of high school. Graduated to other things quickly after. But I walked out of there and I said, We're never, I'm never coming back to this so-and-so place. I did. So you can see how weird it was. And I, looking back, I don't really remember the thought process. I don't remember what I was thinking. I don't remember being led of the Spirit. I don't really remember how I decided to start going back to North Jacksonville Church of God. But it's really uh, just, it wouldn't have happened. There's no explanation for it. I had to have been led by the Spirit. I started going back to that church, and that pastor was still there. And I've said this before, liberals, I was a liberal, liberals always think they're smarter than everybody else. Always have. It's nothing new. I had that same mindset. We were enlightened. We knew better. We were smarter. And everybody else, all conservatives, were idiots. That, that's, that, that, that is the mindset, whether they admit it or not, that is the mindset of liberals. Conservatives don't feel that way. We don't consider ourselves smarter than or better than. We do consider our, our uh, view to be more enlightened, to be more reasoned, but we don't look down our nose personally. Liberals look down their nose personally at conservatives. I'm saying that to say that's the way I was as a liberal. When I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't lose all of that liberalism right away. That took some time. I started coming back to church, had a big old, you know, political sticker on the back of my Volkswagen Beetle, you know. And uh, I was still very liberal. But I remember loving the people in that church. I came back to, I don't know why I went back. I loved all those square people. Now, as hippies, we called conservatives straights. They were called straights. Now, that has a different connotation today. You know, homosexuals called, you know, heterosexual straights. But back then, liberals, liberals, we called hippies, we called non-hippies straights. Or sometimes suits, because they wore suits, you know. I'm a suit. And uh, I had nothing culturally uh, uh, in 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 what's my in huh in common with these people, even though I knew them because you know it'd only been two and a half years since we left, so I knew all these people, knew their families, knew the pastor, but I had it culturally. I had complete. There was a, a 
big divide between what, where my life had gone. And I came back in and I just loved everybody. I love the old men in the church. I love the old women, you know, in their corny little old simplicity dress. You remember those simplicity? Uh, you know what I'm talking about, those patterns. They used to make the homemade dresses, you know, those simplicity dresses, you know, and just corny, just corny. And I had my, you know, crazy outfit on and, and I, what, what was going on? The love of God had been shed abroad in my heart. I didn't understand it. And I, was, I, I, would, I would think, what is wrong with me? I can't wait to go back to that corny place again. I can't wait to go back and be around those people. And that pastor, I loved him. Why? We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Glory to God. Love is the very first fruit of the Spirit that will manifest. Now, I didn't know there was a new commandment. You know, in John chapter 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. As I have loved you that you love one another. I didn't know that. Our church, in, in our, that denomination and, and those two churches that I'd gone to, I don't remember them teaching on the, on the new, new commandment of love. We didn't, we didn't major on love. We majored, of course, we had most Bible doctrines. You know, we're, we're correct. But we majored on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and holiness, living a, a separated holy life. Those were the two mainstays that, we, that people uh, emphasized. And I never heard anything about a new commandment. I, never, I had never heard it, but that, that commandment was in me. When I got back in the fellowship of the Lord, it just came to life again. And it, and it, and it had a dramatic effect. You see, the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Now, I said this earlier. If you don't love others, if you don't love your brother, you're not even saved. And that's the truth. And you might be sitting there thinking, oh, boy, I'm in trouble. Because there's somebody here I don't really care for. Or maybe several people in this world that I don't really care for. Am I even saved? Well, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you've been born again. And the Bible says, this is not something you pray for. This is not something you ask God for. The Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in your heart by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Ghost. The love of God is just there. You have to learn to yield to it. See, I was yielding to that love and wasn't even, wasn't even aware of what I was doing. I, di- I, didn't know there was a, I didn't know the love of God was there. Nobody ever told me the love of God was in me. But when I got back around Christians, it's like, I'm home. This is family. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. I love these people. Thank God for the love of God. Hallelujah. Now, a lot of people... Many Christians take scriptures concerning the love of God and they mistakenly think about natural human love. And so they try to love that unloving person with natural human love. Because we all know what natural human love is. We have that. You have a natural human love for your family. Isn't that right? You have a natural human love for people that are dear to you naturally, saved and unsaved. And so mistakenly, people try to to operate out of that love 
And that love uh, will not carry the day. Even, even the love a husband has to his wife and vice versa, that's a natural love. That love alone will take you to the divorce, divorce court. Absolutely will, because it will not last. It, it, it's not strong enough. There's a love that's greater than that love. It's the love of God. It, it will superimpose itself upon natural love, and it will enhance natural love and give it color and flavor and so forth. But, but natural human love by itself, you cannot do it. You cannot love that unlovely person as much as you try. You can't do it unless you do it by the Spirit. You have to depend on the love of God on the inside of you. I didn't know what I was doing. No one had ever taught me. But praise the Lord, it was working. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to just close real quickly with this second one and then go to the third one next time. Number one, walking in the Spirit means to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, to walk in the Spirit means to live a godly life. To walk in the Spirit means to live a godly life. Go back to Galatians chapter 5 again. Galatians 5. Praise the Lord. Are you out there? You with me? Brother Hagin said, you out there or you gone home? (laughs) Notice we started in verse 16, but look at verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Look at the context that walking in the Spirit is in this I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish but if you are led by the spirit you're not under the law or if you're walking in the spirit you're not under the law now the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also tell you now. In time, in, 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 which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such uh, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. To walk in the, to walk in the Spirit is the opposite of walking in the flesh. Or turn that around. To walk in the flesh is not to walk in the spirit. Go back over to uh, to Romans chapter 8 again. There's an important key here that's brought out. That is there in in the fifth chapter of Galatians, but it's brought out a little more clearly here. Verse 5 says, For let those, for those, excuse me, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace. Again, you see that the Spirit-led life and walking in the Spirit is contrasted with walking in the flesh. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life or quicken your mortal bodies. That's that renewal through his spirit who dwells in you. Now notice in verse 12 and 13. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, everybody say these next three, next three words. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's the key right there. By the Spirit. If you just try to crucify the flesh with your own ability, your own natural ability, try as hard as you will, you will fail. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, if by the help of the Spirit, depending on the Spirit, letting the Spirit help you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. See, walking in the Spirit is to live a godly life, but you have to do it in the power of the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit's enabling. He has, you have to let Him help you do it. Oh, glory to God. You will be frustrated beyond frustration <laughs> if you simply try to discipline yourself on your own. Because your flesh is not going to give up it has to be dominated by something greater. And your, and your best intention is not great enough. Your, strong, your best intention is not strong enough to overcome the innate, inherent cravings of the flesh. They are there, they're gonna stay there until you get a new body. And you can resolve, you can make, we come in the beginning of the year, everybody makes resolutions, you know. You can make a resolution every day, a new resolution every day. It'll be meaningless in a matter of time. But by the Spirit. What does that mean? Walking in the Spirit. See, yielding to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, Gentleness, faithfulness, all of those things, self-control, yielding to those things and, and, and on purpose cultivating those things. Fruit has to be cultivated. Fruit has to be cultivated. If you, if you grow fruit on a tree, you can leave it alone and not do anything, you'll have some fruit. But if you really want good fruit, you're going to have to cultivate that. You have to protect it. Isn't that right? Insects will try to get it. The cold will try to get the fruit. There's a lot of things. You, you're going to have to cultivate it. You're going to have to protect that fruit. Amen. And you can do that by the help of the Spirit. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We'll get to this third one next time. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I'm glad I came today. It helped me. My, the Word of God helped me. Not my preaching, but the Word of God helped me. Amen. Glory to God. Because you never outgrow the need of the Holy Spirit.
Amen. Glory to God. You're never, you're never going to become so spiritual that the flesh doesn't try to trip you up. Yep. I heard Kenneth E. Hagin make this statement on more than one occasion. He said, even the most holy, the most devout, the most mature Christian at times resents the impulses that arise in his own life. Because those impulses are going to arise no matter who you are. But thank God for the Spirit. Walk in love. That's the biggest one right there. If you'll walk in love, you, you'll, you'll, you'll put to rest a lot of things in your life. I mean, they'll be there. Like I said, the, the enemy will always try to tempt you. But if you'll walk in love, think about, think about love. It's the opposite of selfishness. And, and sin and the temptations of the flesh, they're, they're not, they're for you. <laughs> I mean, the, the temptations of the flesh are a temptation for you. I mean, you may have somebody else involved in your sin, but it's really about you and your temptation, your uh, carnal desire. You can't really sin for somebody else. You're sinning for yourself. But love, glory to God. You love others. Your love is something that flows out of you to other people. Glory to God. It's transformative. It really is. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank God for the love of God. I'll talk about this next time, but I didn't know what was going on when I started going back to, to North Jack's Church of God. I didn't, I, no one had ever taught me these things. But I had a, something going on the inside that I couldn't explain. I was very much aware of it. I just didn't know what it was. See, I didn't have the Bible. I mean, I had a Bible, but I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the Bible. I was being led in line with the Bible and didn't know it. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.